Here's my question for you this morning. When's the last time you took something that did not belong to you? Think about it. Mm, I hear some of, you, some of you guys are doing that right there. Mm. No, not by accident. <laughs> When's the last time you took something that did not belong to you? It could have been small. And I don't mean like you are a thief and you stole that. Although I did have some of those challenges as a kid growing up. When's the last time you took something that did not belong to you? When you were a kid, I mean, this might, you might be going back a little bit. Anybody ever steal a candy bar? Anybody ever do that? Oh, I did. I remember stealing a deck of playing cards. I got home, my mom was like, well, where the heck did you get those? And it had like a hunting duck on it. Why did I even care about those? But for some reason, I had to have them, and I took them. Some of you live with roommates who take articles of clothing that do not belong to them, and they wear them, and you are deeply bothered by this. I see some of you putting hands over your mouths because you know this is true. You start having children that start growing up and are in the same height as you. People start stealing clothes. Oh, it happens. This is a real problem, people. Think about it for a second. When is the last time you took something that didn't belong to you? Let's flip it another way. When's the last time someone took something from you that wasn't theirs to take? Now, most of you are thinking about a possession, and understandably so, those are the examples I gave. But when is the last time someone took something that wasn't theirs to take, and it wasn't a possession? Think about the things that happen in your life. The things that bother you more than even your possessions, oftentimes, are when people take things like recognition. When's the last time someone took recognition and it wasn't theirs to take? And you felt robbed. It took credit for something that you were doing. When's the last time somebody took from you and they, they took your dignity? When's the last time someone took something, your honor, your respect, your worth, your very value, these are the things that people get the most upset about. And when we scroll the, the news feeds of social media and you see the blow-up conversations and everybody gets their popcorn and begins reading all of the comments and you just can't believe what's happening but you can't stop reading because it's a train wreck. Sometimes you're the one involved in it but you can't, it's this amazing thing. What's actually happened? Someone feels like something was taken from them. Their respect was taken. Their dignity was taken. Even the, uh, the inability for someone to hear your opinion now feels like you are taking something from me. And this little word that we like to call offense takes root. Raise your hand if you've ever been offended. Every hand should be up because we've all felt offended. You've received offense. You've taken offense. We've all felt it. 
And the anger that you feel and the frustration that you feel and the resentment or even bitterness you feel oftentimes is nothing more, simplifying it this morning, than feeling like someone took something from you that wasn't theirs to take. And consequently, you're going to make them pay for it. You're offended. Think about it for a second. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to Luke 17 because today, I'm going to, I, want, I want you to hear this. There are things that have been done to you. There are things that have been done to me. There are offenses that have taken place, and frankly, they should have. Now, sometimes we can get stuck and we can't ever get beyond it. But understand, I, don't, I do not want to minimize things that happened to you this morning, the offending party. But today, it's not about them, it's about us. It's not about what you did to me. Today, I'm going to deal, deal with me. I'm going to deal with my heart. Because for so many of us, when we talk about it's not you, it's me, when we talk about offense, offense at work, offense in your home, offense with the next door neighbor, it's always the other person. But today, I'm going to help us deal with our hearts first and let God begin to deal with the other. Does that sound good? Does that sound like a plan? Everybody's a little bit quiet this morning. I realized when you woke up and you did not anticipate polar bears to be walking around outside because it got cold again since Friday you were in shorts and t-shirts. But stay with me today. God has something really great for us. I mean that. How many of you have seen families torn apart by a fence? Sons and daughters never talking to their mom or their dad. Ripped apart. Brothers and sisters torn apart. Roommates torn apart. Shredded. What was such a great relationship or should have been is just, is just pieces. Or a little bit more subtle is there's just, that, there's just that reservation that you feel towards someone. It's like, a, it's like someone is just tapping the brakes every time you're around them. There's a, there's a little bit of something that rises up inside of you. What you don't I like to identify and what you don't realize oftentimes is there is this little thing called offense. You're offended by something, bothered by it. And so today, it's not you. It's me. I deal with this. Father, help us. Lord, as we are prayerful this morning, God, as we're seeking you today, whether we are in college, whether we are a young professional, whether we're married, whether we're divorced, God, whether we have gray hairs, no hair, or blue hair, God, help us this morning to have a pure heart before you. Amen. Jesus says this in Luke 17, verse 1. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. 
Now, we love to talk, and, and, and our eyes and attention goes to the latter part of this verse. Woe to the person through who offenses come. They're going to get it. Yet we forget what Jesus says on the front end. He says, guess what? Offense is on its way. If you're not offended now, just hang on a little bit because you're going to be. Offenses are unavoidable. They are fundamental to the fabric of the fallen and broken universe we live in. I hate that, but it's true. We are in our first season of baseball with Graham, which means it's a lot of fun, even though it feels like it's my life right now. Uh, there's so many practices, and guess what they're working on? Fundamentals. Okay, glove down. The ball is rolling to you. Get your glove down. For the love of God, get your glove down. Get your glove down. Move towards the ball. Don't just watch it go by you. Move towards the ball. Hey, that ball will hit you in the face. Put your glove up and stop it. Oh, by the way, when you get the ball, take it back. Turn sideways and throw it. Oh, and step. This is called a bat. Here's how you stand. You get gets close to the plate. This is how you swing. All the most basic fundamentals. Because... If there's anything we understand or anything that we can build on that will help us be more successful as a team, I'm pretty sure it's learning how to catch, how to throw, and how to hit. And Jesus is giving us some very fundamental truth that we oftentimes forget about the lives that we live, and it's this, offenses are going to come. Don't go out of your way to start them or cause them. And while this isn't the message, if, if you're the one who always seems to have hellfire and brimstone breaking out on your social media feed, you might actually be part of the problem. But that's not what we're talking about today. I'll, I'll refrain. I believe that God has this message for us as a church because I truly believe God has something great for you. Some of you guys have amazing gifts of leadership. I really am amazed at times at who God has brought to our humble church at this stage of the game. Some of you are in the army. Some of you serve. And I find what you do incredible. Some of you are giving your time, sweat, and energy here. So we've got teachers that are teaching in these classrooms, and they're giving their best to your kids. And I want you to know, I find, I find you all extraordinary. I do. And I also want you to know what will rob you of what God wants to do in your life faster than anything I personally know is you getting stuck, offended. And it's so easy to do. Let me give you an illustration. Anybody know what this is? Don't say anything dirty or kinky because it's not that. If some of you guys are like reading some trashy books and movies that are out there, this has nothing to do with that. This is a trap. And yes, you could use it for a rabbit. You could use it for a coyote. You could use it for an animal that is giving you problems. Okay? 
And while I don't consider myself a hunting expert, we, we gave this thing a test run this morning, and I'm not even going to show it to you for the sheer possible danger that it could inflict upon me. This thing will break your hand. I mean, and this is a small trap. I won't do it. We stuck a pen in it, thinking, oh, this would be great. And it just ink all over and washing my hands off. And, and, and here's the deal. I was going to order a bear trap. <laughs> Decided not to. I could have sat in it. So what you may not know about the word offense in the Bible is that the Greek word that we, we, we use the word offense, but for them, the word was scandalon. And the very word that we use for offense literally was an animal trap. So when Jesus is saying, guys, offenses are bound to come, it's going to happen. Now, he gives us solutions, and he gives us ways to live beyond it. But understand, the word that he's using here is that of a trap. In the same way that your coyote would be wandering through the backyard and eating this or hunting that, and steps on this little portion of the trap, and snap, that thing just shuts around his leg, and you better believe it hurts, and you better believe it's painful, and Forgive the, what might some of you feel completely inhumane and the greatest injustice the world has ever known to an, an animal. Understand some of these things just have to happen. But get it. That animal is trapped. Snapped shut. And it is not able to get out. And you take this little pin and you drive a stake in the ground or you attach it to a tree and it can't go anywhere. Guess what it is? It's offended. We use it purely as this relational word, but the real meaning of the word is trap. With me this morning. Because here's what we see. We see the devil's, one of Satan's greatest pursuits is to get you stuck to get you trapped, to keep you relationally from being able to move forward, not only with God, but the very people around you. Let's read this verse in Matthew 18. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven... Actually, no, I'm going to back up. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 through 26. The Lord's servant... Let's talk about you and I now. Must not be quarrelsome. Let's say that one more time. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What is it that Satan wants them to do? He wants them to be trapped. This is what he does. These are his purposes for you. If you've ever been offended before, back that up. If you've ever tried to help a dog that's hurt, 
what happens? Dog snaps at you. Even though your, your heart is going out to this animal. Surely he'll understand that I'm trying to bring help to him. He's got his leg hurt or he's injured. Guess what happens? You're going to lose your dang hand trying to help this dog. And so what happens when you and I get stuck and get trapped is that those who would, who would try to bring grace to us and those who would try to bring hope to us and help to us, you cannot even hear it because you're in pain and you see everything through the lens of your offense. And you see this every single day on social media play out right before your eyes. It doesn't matter how logical or how sensible or how heartfelt someone's response can be. If you can't hear it, you can't hear it because you're hurt. You're offended and you're trapped. Now, forget social media for a second, because this happens between spouses. You ever been, if you're married, you ever been mad at your spouse before? Oh, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to make them say it first. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. I'm sure not going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to wait this out. You're talking about offense. You ever had, have you ever been offended with an in-law before? Oh, yes, you have. You know you have. Some of you are dying right now. I have. We've been close to World War III at times. I had someone, true story, I'm going to put this down before I hurt myself. I had someone, this is, this, is, this is a fact, somebody I went to high school with who I haven't talked to in over 20 years years. You know, there have been things in the news that have been, well, divisive. Things in our culture. And he took the liberty somehow finding out that I was a pastor here and decided to write some on our, on our church page, our Facebook page. And it was so inappropriate. It was insensitive. It was hurtful. It was bigoted. It was all kinds of things. And I'm having dinner at Chick-fil-A with my family. And I see this pop up. How dare he? Comment right back. It's on. Because this argument matters so much to me that I would have this conversation with somebody that I haven't talked to in 20 years, mind you. And here's what happened. I can feel my heart beating. You know, you know where I'm going with this, because all of you have done it. It doesn't have to be on social media. It can be literally in person. You begin to feel that thing welling up inside of you and rising up inside of you. And all of a sudden, you can't even, you know, the kids are around me, Amy's with me, and I'm not even paying attention because I'm, I'm so consumed by this offense. And so I send him a message later after feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I said, man, Sorry. Well, I don't agree with you, I shouldn't have engaged in this conversation with you. Forgive me. And it was done. But just like that, you're minding your own business. Eating a little chicken nugget, you know, with some sauce at Chick-fil-A, and bam, I'm offended. 
you're doing your thing and you're at home and you get home and you're expecting one thing and you get another. Bam! You're, you're offended. You've got Christmas plans that you and your spouse have put together and all of a sudden they change. What? Offended. And then you have far more serious hurts. You've got people who are getting divorces or have been divorced. And there's deep hurt and deep pain and deep offense. And it's easy to see and and easy to, to hear the verbiage of all men now are like this or all women are like this or people who've had very difficult parenting experiences. Well, I would never have another child because kids are... And you you see the boiling up of a pain that's in their heart that they are not moving past. What is it that they're, where are they? They're trapped. They're stuck. And that's how offense works. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Peter came to Jesus And he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, if you're sitting here and now you're you're like pulling out your calculator and you're thinking that once you get to 77, you're golden. No, you're misunderstanding this. Peter thought he was doing this great service to God because in rabbinical culture, that of the the Pharisaical teaching, you were a saint if you forgave somebody three times. And so for Peter to come and say, seven? He's basically saying, God, how amazing am I? I'm doing this seven times, Lord, what's up? And Jesus says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You're still stuck. It's not seven times, it's 70 times seven times. It's 77 times. There's there's a difference in whichever parable it is that you're reading or story you're reading, 70 times seven or 77. Regardless, Jesus is saying it's a lot. There's no cap here. So Jesus goes on and he begins to share this story for everybody to hear. And this is one of the hardest, this is one of the hardest parables. I'm going to tell you this. It's not hard to understand, but it is so hard to live out. And thankfully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. But read this with me. It says in 18, 23 through 27, uh, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, again, there's, there's cultural things here that, that you may not understand. 10,000 talents. Just to give you an idea, it would take the average tradesman in Jewish culture at this time 20 years to pay one talent. Okay? And so this parable is designed to elicit laughter from those who are listening because the conditions of it are absolutely absurd. It would take the average Jewish tradesman 200,000 years to pay off a 10,000 talent sum. When, you, when we look in, in the Old Testament and we see kings and queens coming to pay tribute to Solomon or the building of the temple, they didn't even come close to this sum of money. And so when the servant says, give me, Sir King, just a little bit more time and I'll pay this back to you, we realize that this is an amount, this is a debt that he absolutely could never pay. And so when Jesus is sharing this story, there's probably some chuckles. Like this is, the, this is the national debt that we're talking about here, but somehow it's attributed to an individual. This is a crazy story, Jesus. You have got one sense of humor. 10,000 talents. This is the kind of money no one could ever dream of. And yet the king has mercy on the servant, and what does he do? He forgives the debt. And so then we see further on in the story, it says, but when the servant left, when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about four months worth of wages. Now, that's a lot of money. Think about if somebody paid you four months of their salary. That still is some cash. Okay, this is not insubstantial. But here's what the man did. After having been forgiven 200,000 years of work, he found this man he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master calls the servant in. He says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. There's a lot to be said here, church. My hope is that without a tremendous amount of explanation, you can see yourself in this story. Because you and I have a debt that we owe to God that we absolutely can never pay back. The ultimate offense 
is what our sin has done before a perfect and holy God. It is an insurmountable amount that we, in theory, have to pay back. But guess what? We never could. We never can. And yet our great and merciful king decided to cancel that debt. And so then when we find ourselves in positions where someone feels like they have taken from us, we want to make them pay. I'm going to make you pay what you, for what you did to me. And what this parable reminds us of is that if Jesus has forgiven our debt, should we not forgive those who sin against us? Far be it from me to hold this against you when God doesn't hold it against me. So here's your big idea, church. As you're heading to lunch, as you're living out the week, it's this. There comes a time in your life where you need to make what God has done for you bigger than what someone has done to you. Let me say that again. There comes a time in your life where you need to make what God has done for you bigger than what someone has done to you. What God has done for you is infinitely bigger than this trap of offense that you find yourself in. This trap of unforgiveness. And if we're asking ourselves this morning, well, I I am this way. I've got church hurts from 15 years ago. I've got people that when I think of their names, I still have have a limp that comes to mind. I've got dings in my heart still. What do I do? I'm stuck. You get to do what Jesus did for us. You begin to get to cancel the debt that's owed to you. There's lots of definitions this morning, but the word forgiveness is a financial term. And the literal definition of it is to cancel the debt. And when God forgave you, he says, you no longer owe me anything. And when you forgive others, you are declaring whether it's actually to them or before God that you will not hold anything against this person anymore. Their debt has been paid by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And I choose to forgive. I choose not to forget, but I choose to release from payment. I choose to release you from what you owe. And it's amazing when out of your mouth, you literally say it. You you find the picture of that person that has hurt you. And you say, Lord, today I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive so-and-so. I release so-and-so. I'm letting go 
God, of so and so. I am choosing not to make them pay for what they did to me anymore. I choose not to make my wife pay. I choose not to make my husband pay. I choose not to make my children pay, my mom and dad pay, my pastor pay. I choose not to make so-and-so pay my boss, my co-worker. God, today, I choose to forgive. And this amazing thing happens as you get free from the trap of offense. It's not you this morning. Offense is about me. And I don't know about you. But I can't stand living my life stuck. Stuck in pain, stuck in hurts. So this morning, this is a great collective moment for us as a church have a moment in your seat where you choose to release. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to bow our heads for a minute or two, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to forgive those who have trespassed against you, those who have jacked things up for you, those who've done incomprehensible things. I'm not suggesting that you forget everything they've done. What I'm suggesting you do is release them from trying to pay you back. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you that you give us the power to forgive. God, you give us the courage and the strength to do it. God, I know even in this room right here, in this cafeteria at Kennesaw Elementary, God, some of us are carrying things. Some of us have been limping, stuck in a trap for a long time. God, and today is the day that we get to do what you did for us, and that's show mercy. you're sitting here this morning and if there's something or someone that comes to mind, I want you to just pray. Pray quietly. Pray in a whisper. But pray boldly and begin to release them. Say, God, I forgive. God, I choose to release. I'm letting go. believe there's even somebody here this morning, even as you leave here today, you need to be bold and you need to reach out to the person that you have avoided talking to, person that you've avoided relationship with. It's like you turn and you begin to run in the opposite direction today. Even as you're releasing in your heart, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to send them a text, send them a phone call. I want you to go out of your way to re-engage in relationship with them. 
Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Some of you need to just take that step of letting go right here in your seat. It's like you just, you can't even open your mouth and say it. You've been so locked up. And I want you to know that God has great plans for you. He wants to do great things in your life. And he wants to do it through your life. But this offense has been like a log jam. And today, God is removing it. But you have to do the part of letting go and choosing to forgive. Say, God, I forgive. I'm canceling the debt. I'm holding on to nothing, Lord. Father, help us. God, help us to be men and women who forgive, who are marked by it, Lord. To be gracious and humble, even to our enemies, Lord. And God, this morning we come to you in worship. Even as we conclude service, we do so, God, with a heart of forgiveness, God. We love you and we worship you. Amen.